Welcome back to American Scene, the show where we talk about movies with American in the title and what they have to say about American identity, culture, and values. My name is Ben Rosen. I'm Alan Austin. If you have anything you want to say about the show, any of our previous episodes, or anything we cover today, please connect with us on Twitter at AmericanScene underscore, or send us an email at AmericanScenePod at gmail.com, also on Instagram at AmericanScenePod. We promised you folks that we were going to do a special mini-sode specifically about the big kahuna, American Beauty. The one you all know, you may feel a certain way about it, today that you didn't feel when you first saw it but this is uh this is the biggest one so we got a lot of trivia to talk about it's on the mount rushmore of films with american in the title as we've talked about it's the the big kahuna pun intended and uh yeah let's get into some of the more fun stuff the stuff we didn't cover because i know on the regular episode as the as the listeners know we covered a lot of the themes what moved the story along and what they were going for and this is more like breaking the film down going over the what ifs and some of the other fun questions we may have yeah before we get into that i just wanted to offer us both an opportunity to expand a little bit on some things that we talked about on the episode. Uh, We were talking, you know, going over the notes as we were uh, editing that episode, and you had a note on uh, Lester's appearance. Right. So I made the incorrect, I had an incorrect take. It wasn't necessarily wrong, but for what we were going for, I, I stand corrected by my own logic. So I said that there were two characters in the film that don't care about their appearance. They don't care how the world sees them. And I said that one of them was Lester. I was wrong because there's a whole subplot of the reason he begins working out is so that he could eventually hook up with Angela, or at least in his head, those were the steps that needed to be to be taken for this to happen. And he starts working out and he, he wants to look good naked. So I stand corrected. I don't think Lester cares how he looks to society. He really only cares how he looks to Angela. But of course, Angela represents a bigger idea. So I stand corrected. Really, it would only be the West Bentley character who doesn't care how the world views him. And he does, you know, his father, he knows how to handle his father. So he kind of changes appearance to his father, but not to the outside world. Yeah, they actually uh, both talk about this sort of idea of appearances when they're in the room together and he's buying weed for the first time, uh, Lester from Ricky. And Ricky is like, you know, it, it's amazing. He has a line, something like, uh, uh, it's amazing the power of denial, you know? So he has this like front that's a job where he's a waiter where he and Lester, where he and Lester meet for the first time, uh, is at this bar at this function or whatever, catering, I guess. Um, but really, Ricky is making his money a different way and in that scene lester says uh you know it was whatever summer when i was a kid uh or when i was a teenager all i did was party and get laid and that's Mm -hmm. really what he's seeking now that reclamation of youth by looking good naked which is another great line him in the two gyms and partying and you know and smoking weed uh so he doesn't really care what that looks like to the outside world uh because he is you know inhabiting essentially the the body of a teenager again Yeah, so I stand corrected, and I was able to figure that out after our, like we said, editing, but I still think that there's some truth to it based on what you said. Definitely. It's a different kind of caring about appearance right. it's a it's much more physical than than a sort of uh ideal you know right it's totally contrasting to uh Carolyn, who of course cares how she looks in all ways you right. know as this movie goes forward. Lester's is more a very particular way. 
Yeah. Uh, speaking of the way that, that the world views him, uh, Frank Fitz, uh, something that we didn't mention in his sort of identity is that each time he introduces himself, he says, Frank Fitz, U.S. Marine Corps. So right. I don't know if that's a thing that Marines do, that they that they automatically attach that to the introduction of themselves. But either way, that was intentional, you know, uh, by yeah. by keeping that in and or making him a Marine as opposed to any other branch of the military, uh, which which might not have uh, introduced themselves in that way. But clearly, he's identifying himself with this traditionally masculine role of a Marine. Right. And I think, you know, us as, you know, uh, everyday citizens, when we hear about the branches of the military, obviously, Marine always comes across as the elite, like the cra- like the most talented, the most like intense. So this guy who's clearly overcompensating constantly or trying to mask the fact that he has his own self-doubt and his own worries and what he fears that if they were to come to light, everyone would not respect him, they'd hate him, they'd mock him. He overcompensates by adding that to his title when introducing to people, whether it's a common thing or not. So lots to unpack, and Frank Fitz continues to be one of the more fascinating characters in this film. Yeah. And as I read in terms of trivia, he wasn't sure he wanted to, to take the role. You know, he, Interesting. he, he was yeah. he was very uh, apprehensive about like living in this guy's mind. But thankfully, he did take the role because I don't I didn't see any other casting what ifs about uh, about Frank. Frank Fitz. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd be curious to know what those were. But uh, but he I mean, we're going to talk. Let's 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 start to talk about the casting what ifs and then we'll get into a couple other things because I. <sighs> Casting directors, casting offices need Oscars. They need their own category at the Oscars because it's not just about like you think, oh, who was starring in the movie, but it's about what the movie looks like on a, you know, from from everybody who even has just one line or everybody who appears in the background. Like these are all decisions that are made by casting. And based on the the names that we're going to talk about in a second, like this movie is perfectly cast. And yeah. could have gone wrong or could have gone very differently uh, with some of these other names. Before we talk about the lead actors who were considered for the role of Lester, there is one name that does not appear on this list, and that's John Cusack. How are you doing? Nice to see you in a minute. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Nice to meet you. It's funny, I actually was just text messaging with a friend because I'm missing class right now. You are? And my film class. And it's so funny because they're watching American Beauty today and analyzing it. American Beauty? Mm-hmm. What's funny about that? You were in that. No, I wasn't. American Beauty? Nope. What's the one with the rose petals? I'm not in that. That's not you? No. Really? No. Really? I swear to God. Am I just very confused? I think you are. I think I am. Okay. That is by far one of my favorite moments of any press at any time, <laughs> I will always remember seeing that. That that happened at the end of uh, 2007, I guess, when he was promoting Grace is Gone, which he was touted for potentially, you know, having some Oscar buzz. But this person had never seen American Beauty, apparently, because right. otherwise they would have known that, uh, that John Cusack wasn't in it. But you get an opportunity as a student to sit down and interview John Cusack about a, a, such an important movie, buzzed about movie, and that's your opening to not fact check i just <sighs> poor journalism uh that clip is is cringy as it is fun to watch it's so it's not even just oh i got that wrong oh i'm sorry i i was mistaken my bad let's start over it was are you sure are you sure <laughs> really really 
<laughs> I saw one recently of Jack Black being asked his favorite Christmas movie, and he's like, Elf. Elf's great. And they're like, not the holiday? And he's like, the what? Or something like that. <laughs> like, he just totally forgot about the holiday. Yeah, that's a great one. I've seen that pop up a few times on my uh, on my Instagram feed. Um, but yeah, but I actually just last night watched The Grifters uh, with John Cusack and Annette Benning as romantic uh, interests. So I don't think that, I think in this, obviously, they. I, I'm not sure their ages, but Kevin Spacey might be older than Annette Benning, which would make sense. Like, I don't think John Cusack in 1999 would have looked old enough to be father to, like, a 17, 18-year-old girl. But uh, anyway, I just had to drop that that clip from that interview because yeah. it's great. Like you said about casting, this movie is perfect, and a poor performance in this film would have stuck out like a sore thumb. Like, it would not have been able to blend away or, or, or fade into the background. Like, there are many famous movies that are so good with a weak casting choice and thank gosh this didn't because it would have really 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 you know downed this movie uh, i don't have a more articulate way to say it yeah in fact another piece of trivia that i just remembered uh sam mendy's cut like like completely destroyed the first few days of what they had shot i guess they just like weren't hitting the tone right like something wasn't working about what they were doing and just completely dumped all of it. So even with the cast and with the director that we have in this movie, still it had to be just right or or it could have gone wrong. So kudos to the casting. Um, sometimes studios uh, have a certain idea in mind when reading a script. And this is why a director's vision, a writer's vision is so important to 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 trust them to make the decisions that are that are going to bring out the best version of the script because who did the studio want who was their first choice the studio wanted one of my all-time favorites chevy chase and i tell you so let's let's put this in a context the studio probably saw this as a dark comedy more so than it even is as an end product they probably thought it would be a little funnier maybe if we get chevy chase they can get kind of this they can bring in that crowd and then hit them with the serious subject matter. Maybe it was like a little bit of an ulterior, uh, try to cross-pollinate the different audiences. I wouldn't have minded it. And I know you're going to snicker at that. I know you're going to hate that take. But I think Chevy Chase is certainly better than some of the other what-if casting choices for Lester. And I think he would have brought a very nice level of negative sarcasm but still likability because that's what the lester role requires somebody who's equally as likable as they are as hateable and it's such a it sounds like an oxymoron but it's not like you think of people who could pull off sarcasm that can really get under people's skins but are relatively enjoyable chevy chase kevin spacey these people fit that bill and there are some on this list that do not. So I would not have hated the Chevy Chase. And I would love to have seen an alternate version with Chevy Chase back in the day, which we're never going to get, unfortunately. You know, I buy it the, the way you put it. And, and you know what's funny? Another thing that I read about why he turned down the role, he said he only did family films, which try squaring that with the persona of who Chevy Chase is now and the <laughs> difficulties working with him. Not family friendly. <laughs> <laughs> Not to mention, his family-friendly films still had, you know, cursing. They still had, like, R ratings. Like, I don't think of Fletch as a family film, necessarily, although that could pass. But The First Vacation is a very dark movie. Like, there's a lot of elements in these films that you wouldn't say are your feel-good family moments, but the 80s were different. The 80s were different. I 90s. think maybe in maybe 97, 98, when they were starting to get this movie off the ground, maybe at that time he was like, I need to only do family movies. I need to transition into 
things that are more family friendly. And I think what we would have gotten was a lost in translation with Bill Murray kind of movement where he would have been buzzed about for the Oscar. Not sure he would have won. We got to see how the performance would be, but he'd certainly have that moment as an actor that he missed out on. Well, it'd be like now if like Adam Sandler took that kind of role, don't you think? Like a similar kind of vibe, like there would still be, because anytime Adam Sandler does something a little more serious, there is the idea of some buzz that should be worthy, the uncut gems, the uh, Spanglish, the the obviously punch drunk love. So, but I still think like the reason Adam Sandler doesn't get nominated is because there is some baggage there. There is some like, are we, you know, he's just going to go off and do Grown Ups 3 you know, after this. So like, are we really going to give him a nomination? And I feel like Chevy Chase might have had that as well, where it's like, really, are we going to, are we going to do that? So I don't know, like it's, but that's a very academy kind of thing, whether or not he deserved it would have been a different idea, a different question. Yeah. I, first of all, the Sandler stuff's so unfair. Like it's so unfair to think you're the Hollywood, like the Hollywood, we learned recently, the Hollywood foreign press, all these voters from these various award shows have agendas. So it's hard to say like any of this even matters matters ultimately but Sandler got robbed and I do think back in the day it was a little more out of left field for these type of things and I think Chevy Chase would have been better suited than say Sandler currently in the Academy's eyes yeah well there certainly wouldn't have been the immediate like Twitter backlash of holy crap you're casting Chevy Chase in like a dramatic role with like opposite Annette Benning. like is this going to work and you know, Steven Spielberg is producing the movie, like, so they would have gotten away with that, at least, and, and sort of allowed a more honest and genuine reaction to the film to take place. But there also would have been the crowd who loved the choice, because it's against the grain, and everyone, you know, wants to seem like they're in the know, and they think, oh, this is going to actually be great, you just watch. You'd get both worlds. Yeah, yeah, it, it's an, it, it is an interesting what if. For sure, for sure. Definitely, in my opinion, more interesting than the rest of the list. Yeah, definitely. Don't uh, Tom Hanks, love him. Too nice. He's too nice. He's too nice. Uh, when and he starts bashing Carolyn, it would seem inauthentic, or or uh, we would just be like, we're not buying it. It's Tom Hanks. He would never do that. Yeah, yeah. And and Tom Hanks had already done a dark comedy in suburbia several years earlier, of course, The Burbs. Yeah. A much different, much different kind of film. Yes, yes. Young Hanks, also different actor than older Hanks. Entirely, entirely. So. Um, the other folks that we should mention, Kevin Costner, John Travolta, Bruce Willis, Jeff Daniels, and Woody Harrelson were all, they were all considered. I think the only one out of that group that I think might have worked was Jeff Daniels. Because he has done he has done both comedy and drama over the course of, of his entire career. I, I think it works. I think it would work. I do too. I don't think it would work as well as Kevin Spacey. So I, I Jeff Daniels is a very talented, serious actor. He is a thespian's thespian. But I just think Spacey was just had that little bit more of an edge to him that makes Lester really pop. And I think that like everyone we said on the list, no one really has that edge except for maybe a motivated Chevy Chase you like Tom Hanks does not have that edge and that's not a knock on Tom Hanks's ability it's because we love him so much that he doesn't have that edge I don't think Travolta would have had the the, the power in the performance I think it would have been very read the lines get through the motions kind of uh, affair and then Woody Harrelson maybe it would have been a couple years too soon to have Woody try and pull that off so I'm good with Kevin Spacey, 1999 Kevin Spacey, even though he was problematic then, we just didn't know about it, getting this role. Yeah, we were still getting to know him as a performer at that time, post Usual Suspects, post LA Confidential and Seven. Yeah, I think we were still kind of 
because um, he's not even credited in seven. He didn't want to show up in the credits yeah. and, and everyone be like, we're waiting for him to show up, right? So um, I think those early early career moves and, and decisions by him were kept kept people guessing as to like what kind of performer he was going to be. And Usual Suspects is the role that probably let people know he could do whatever he wants. Like, he's a pretty talented, versatile performer. He could manipulate the audience, too. Right, yep. So just sort of a, a meta performance there. Like, I can do different things and you don't know what, what version of me is going to show up. Yeah, and also he plays off Chris Cooper really well in the scene where it counts. Like, they have a really good acting chemistry. They, they, they really nailed that scene. The most, one of the most important scenes in the film, they knocked it out of the park. And I don't see every actor having that, in t- the shared intensity but different levels with Chris Cooper, who is lights out in this movie. Yeah, again, we don't know who else was considered for that role. A uh, couple folks in the mix for Carolyn, two actresses that I just get confused between them because their names are so similar, Holly Hunter and Helen Hunt. <laughs> Holly Hunter, yes, no, Helen Hunt would later go on to star opposite Kevin Spacey in Pay It Forward, a movie much buzzed about, but <laughs> I loved it when I saw it as a whatever, 11-year-old, 12-year-old. Yeah, rewatch that one. Let me know what you think. Yeah, Bon Jovi, great, uh, best supporting actor, Bon Jovi. Hey, Bon Jovi, the bad guy in, what horror movie is it? Cry Wolf. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, I thought we were having a Bon Jovi discussion. I apologize. <laughs> I haven't seen Cry Wolf, I don't know it, but I, I any good? I haven't seen it. <laughs> oh, Why would I see that? I don't know. <laughs> you spoke like you knew. <laughs> I did um, know. I just don't know if he's any good in it. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. A um, <laughs> uh, couple folks who were on the list to direct this movie, who I think would have been incredibly interesting, but also incredibly different. Terry Gilliam and David Lynch. Very different, wildly different takes. Two versions I still would love to see. Keep the same cast, switch up the director, I'm in. Yeah. Of course, I haven't seen anything Terry Gilliam's directed since Well, I watched Imaginarium. But he has he has had not a great run for probably the entire 21st century. No, but he's a name people respect and admire. Yes, and and it's always something to anticipate. Like, what's this? What's this going to be? Uh, yeah. And I do admire him for just how far out of the box he's willing to play. It, it, it kudos. Like as right. as he's you would a say. unique individual. He certainly is. He certainly is. Uh, all of the folks considered for Angela and Jane all went on to have. Incredible careers. Big Except time. for one person I did not recognize, Mahandra Delfino. Don't know who that is. But Kirsten Dunst, Brittany Murphy, Sarah Michelle Geller, Katie Holmes. Uh, Sarah Michelle Geller, I guess, couldn't do it because of uh, Buffy. I know Kirsten Dunst turned it down because she felt she was going to be too young to make out with Kevin Spacey. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> Kate Hudson, Tiffany Thiessen both auditioned, didn't get it. Uh, again, I think we, we both agree that that Mina Suvari just perfect. Right. And I'll, of course, make the argument that she should be in every movie ever as the better casting option. So <laughs> I saw Jessica Biel. Did you say her name? That was for Jane. For Jane, right. Yes. Which I think would not have been a good fit. And that's not a knock on Beale's acting. It's just Thor Birch had the look for that character in that specific time period. It, it, it worked the way it should have. Well, Jessica Biel not only uh, considered for the role, cast in the role and had to drop out. Um, and, and I think that definitely worked out. I, I think I, I completely agree with you. She's way too traditionally attractive 
for this she role. She could be the leading high school. She could play Angela before she could play. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Um, same with Lily Sobieski, who who auditioned. Um, a couple names. And I, I'm surprised. I knew that Jake Gyllenhaal had auditioned for Ricky. Love Jake. Love Jake. I think 99, he also had October Sky come out. I don't think he was... I think Donnie Darko, Jake Gyllenhaal, a couple years later, makes more sense in the Ricky role than 99 October Sky, Jake Gyllenhaal. I also don't mind the Gyllenhaal choice. I think he would have done a fine job. And in fact, I think Jake Gyllenhaal is one of our greatest living actors. So I have no worries that Mr. Gyllenhaal would have pulled off the role. Wes Bentley's fine in the part. Like I said, there's no bad performance in this movie. But I think if there's anybody you could really like make a case like, well, maybe this person would have been better. It's that role. And Jake Gyllenhaal could be that person where I almost think, wow, I really wish Jake Gyllenhaal took the role. I really hate the Ricky character, so it's like maybe I'm being harsh on it. Maybe I'm, uh, you know, being a little blinded or biased, but I do love Jake Gyllenhaal. So. And uh, what about Seth Green? No. 99 Seth Green. <laughs> Is he going to have the bottle role? in his head? Is he going to have the broken beer bottle in his head in this performance? 99 Idle Hands was around that time, too. Yeah, and, I, don't, uh, uh, I don't know it. You got to get up on your horror movies. Not that I watched Cry Wolf, but I have watched Idle Hands. <laughs> I need to watch Reanimator before any of those. Random. Okay. They mention it in the movie. They oh, reanim- that's right. <laughs> Not as random as I implied. <laughs> um, what do you a- think of Gyllenhaal? It would have been fine. I, I mean, yes, I love Jake Gyllenhaal for sure. Um, actually, and also he would have been reteaming with his uh, October Sky co-star. God, I, I really like that movie. I haven't seen it. It's really, really good. It's really I know good. the Shermanator's in it. It's it'd be a good one to revisit. It's it's kind of um, the kind of movie you don't get too often anymore, which is just it's very earnest and sincere. Nowadays, it'd be called cheesy and corny and all that. Right. Sappy, saccharine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, No punch, even though it's a perfectly serviceable film, probably like it would get a harsh reputation for no reason because we're 2021 and everyone's got to be like amped up about everything so uh, yeah or just uh, again like we talked about on the episode you know this feels very i don't know post 911 is real yes. and and you come out with something a little bit too genuine a little bit too heartfelt and like a lot of people are just jaded now we're seeing that now as well post the last presidency with some works of media that are seen as totally glossing over real issues or not hitting them hard enough and it's almost like you better bring it if you want to release media these days that's not just like screwball comedy if you're trying to say something if you're trying to make a point you better be you better be ready for some fact checkers backlash people who are like on your side but not you're not doing it well enough you 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 better bring it yeah i mean everybody's got their own take now immediately and i'm like give me the sappy Give me the the heartfelt. Give me the the genuine emotion. Don't don't undercut it with humor. Don't don't like crack a joke in the middle of like a, a really are you, like. Are you deep calling scene. out Marvel again? You know, uh, just <laughs> uh, it all roads lead back to Marvel. But hey, you know, Jake is showing up in those movies too. Um, he was I, great. He, he was, was great. great. He was great. He's great in everything. Um, well, you love Zodiac. For the fans out there, Zodiac is a Ben Rosen movie. So. <laughs> I watch it every year on 4th of July, which is strange. It's a strange rewatch. It is incredibly rewatchable. It's a phenomenal movie. Uh, but uh, 
yeah, I do. I do rewatch Jaws as well, but like the movie opens on Fourth of July, a very horrific scene. Um, I just can't help it. I just love the goddamn movie. Jaws is in my possible top ten, maybe, but definitely top twenty movies, just generally, and the worst mayor in film history who <laughs> got reelected. <laughs> <laughs> He was still the mayor in Jaws 2. I love that. (laughs) He should have been, like, arrested at the end of Jaws 1. Reckless endangerment. Yeah, local elections matter, people. Uh, Show up. (laughs) Um, So uh, Kevin Spacey won the Oscar. Alan Ball won the Oscar uh, for screenplay. Sam Mendes won Best Director, who won Best Picture. Uh, Looking back over these nominees, man, I... Certainly in supporting actor, would have loved to see Chris Cooper. And looking at the rest of this list, Michael Caine for Cider House Rules, Tom Cruise for Magnolia, Haley Joel Osment for The Sixth Sense, Michael Clark Duncan for The Green Mile, Jude Law for The Talented Mr. Ripley. I mean, my one take is just like Haley Joel Osment isn't a supporting actor in that movie. So put him in lead actor, make some room in that in that category and uh, and slot Cooper in there. Yeah, I I think right then and there it's a stacked year and what what a what a five. Like the only person there from the performance they gave would be Haley Joel Osment and you know, we talk about we've talked off air about maybe it's Michael Caine's honor Oscar, but he already won an Oscar. So, I think they really loved him in this film. I have not seen Cider, Cider House Rules, so I cannot comment. And I, on the best supporting actress side, I really haven't seen the movies. So, it's going to be hard, but Jude Law and Talented Mr. Ripley has to be there. That was an insanely good performance, and I think Chris Cooper matches up not with necessarily that one, but some of the remainders on this list. Yeah, and of course we are only talking about the nominees and you know any potential for america yeah and chris cooper and and as we talk about a couple of the other uh a couple of the other categories 99 was just an insanely good year so there are some other names like i'm sure could have made it into this list but these are the six that we're talking about uh in supporting actress uh i've seen all of these except for sweet and lowdown uh with samantha morton who was nominated here I just, nobody talks about Sweet and Lowdown as a movie anymore. So, like, I just don't see, like, in, in retrospect, like, did we have to nominate it? Um, I, I, I can't really comment because I haven't seen it, but all of these other movies right. still relevant. Uh, Tony Collette for The Sixth Sense, Chloe Seventy for Boys Don't Cry, Catherine Keener for being John Malkovich, and Angelina Jolie, who wins the Oscar for Girl Interrupted. Like, those, all four of those still have to be there, and all four still hold up. I, I, the problem is I've seen all of those except Boys Don't Cry and Sweet and Lowdown. So I've seen Being John Malkovich, I've seen Girl Interrupted, I've seen Sixth Sense, and now I've seen American Beauty. I don't remember anyone as much as I remember Mina Suvari. And that's not recency bias. Like, Mina Suvari's on the map for a reason. Same way Angelina Jolie's on the map for Girl Interrupted. I don't remember Catherine Keener's performance. I don't remember Toni Collette. And I know we've talked about how she was the concerned mother. I don't remember the true depth. And her Oscar nominee should have been hereditary. I don't know. I, I think Mina does have a chance to, to slide in here. Yeah. I think the more fun nomination for being John Malkovich might have been Cameron Diaz. Yeah. See, I remember her way more than I remember Keener, you know, and I, I, being John Malkovich is a good movie. I probably have to give it a rewatch. I mean, John Malkovich could have been nominated. That might have been the fun nomination from that movie. Yeah. Too. How did that not happen? <laughs> uh, but I really love Kevin Spacey as the lead in being John Malkovich. <laughs> oh, you know who told me that he was the lead? That reporter from the John T. <laughs> Second interview. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, and and in the best actress, Annette Bening, who I know you have pointed out several times, lost twice to Hillary Swank over her career. I can't comment on whether Bening deserved it over over Swank here. I, I know Boys Don't Cry is a monumental piece of film history, and I just haven't seen it, which shame on me, but... I can't comment one way or the other, but Annette Bening's phenomenal in American Beauty and nothing, no award should take that away from her or lack thereof, I'm saying. Yeah. Have you seen The Grifters, by the way? No, I never heard of it before you said anything. I, I don't know if I've mentioned it to you, but you look a lot like a young John Cusack. I get that all the time. And it just, yeah, it was, it was hard not thinking like, man, I wish like Alan had done like some of these sides you know, and from the grifters, like it's it just, it's a great role. Um, it's an interesting movie. I get young John Cusack a lot. Yeah. And it's not because I don't do this, carry around boom boxes over my head everywhere I go in a long coat. Yeah. Yeah. And you have a really great pen. I don't get that joke. <laughs> I gave her my heart. She gave me a pen, you know, come on. Gosh. Um, <laughs> one John Cusack movie I do love one crazy summer where he plays the artist great opening credits and Bobcat who doesn't love Bobcat back in the day saw Bobcat perform and uh, his he's great loved seeing him with just I love like Bobcat it was like 25 other people in the room it was awesome that's great yeah we don't really have to talk about uh, the score like I, I Thomas Newman for me is like who Roger Deakins was for for cinematographers uh, you know a few years ago before he won for Blade Runner like the guy who kept getting nominated absolutely deserved it and had never won Thomas Newman still doesn't have an Oscar and I think no one remembers the music from the red violin which won this year and I think everyone on the face of the earth uh maybe not okay that's 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 an exaggeration but a lot of people recognize the music from american beauty for sure yeah and and that among the nominees too the the score that most people would recognize out of out of these five the cider house rule score is is good but yeah uh, american beauty just uh, thomas newman's needs a goddamn oscar petition retroactive give him the oscar Please. I, I voted for him to win, not in the Academy, of course, but in my um, <laughs> in my Oscar pool, I, I wanted him to win for 1917. And that was the year that uh, what's her name won for the uh, for Joker. And I was like, uh, OK, good for her. But I didn't like that movie. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you want to run through some of the IMDb trivia that we point that we thought was noteworthy from this film? Yeah. Let's start with uh, the alternate ending that I teased on the episode because oh, yes. you were not aware of this. I'm still not. I, 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 I'm still ready to hear it for the first time. So remember the beginning of the movie, it opens on like the DV tape of uh, Jane asking Ricky to kill him, to, to kill Lester. Right. And then obviously Lester is dead at the end of the movie. There was going to be this whole sequence of like ricky and jane go on the run and then they're arrested and then there's like a trial and ultimately like the the tape comes out and they're and they're found guilty and ultimately they were like this is going to be too like cynical and depressing to end the movie on so they ended it on something a little bit more hopeful also i think we've seen natural born killers true romance like all these similar styles uh, that we don't you know, later on, Baby Driver would kind of similarly fit that mold. It wasn't needed. And also, you're what, taking Kevin Spacey out 45 minutes into the movie? Like, based on that logic? No, they would have gone on for another, you know, 30, 40 minutes after this. You, well, you, so you mentioned the three-hour version on the, uh, on the episode, not even knowing that this would have been the three-hour version. <laughs> Gosh, that's terrible. I hate that idea. Yeah, yeah, good idea. And I, I can't 
this was actually some of it had actually been filmed and they just cut it like if it had ever made it to any sort of like test screening or anything like this but you know burn all those tapes please if if they exist like that's just not a director's cut i would want to (laughs) see it's just weird sometimes the cuts are for a reason folks yeah i don't need to see the uh ultimate cut (laughs) i I, I'm, i'm sad i heard that now because it means that it once existed on paper yeah, the uh, restore the Mendes verse. <laughs> oh my God! Release the Mendes cut. Uh, the poster. The yes, poster. the famous one of them. I'd say a top ten recognizable famous movie poster. Maybe number one, all time, all movies. Maybe not number one. Maybe number one. In terms of uh, posters that don't feature any of the cast members, you know, because you could look at like Star Wars or Rage of the Lost Ark or like. Um, actually, Vertigo might not feature any of the cast members. Uh, Just a like a figure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or uh, I can't remember what the what the Psycho poster was. I guess the Exorcist. I don't remember. Great poster because uh, it's just the guy in well, front of the house. Say, but there, we we could do a whole like minisode on you know posters, and it would it would be great. But American Beauty, very famous poster, and the hand and the stomach do not belong to the same person. Ironically, and enough. neither of them belong to the actress in the film. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You would think theoretically it's Angela, but it's not. Yeah, it is uh, Christina Hendricks. Is that's her hand in in the poster? Christina Hendricks, of course, of Mad Men fame, and the stomach belongs to model Chloe Hunter, uh, who I had to Google, but I guess uh, very attractive in 1999. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The look closer tagline, kind of obvious, as we talked about, you know, implying that like underneath the superficial beauty of suburban America, the cleanliness, there's other darkness beneath it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Very obvious on the, on the, hitting the nail on the head there. Um, you know, I, I was a little harsh on Allison Janney in our first review, and it's not that I think she did bad. It's that I think the character needed to be explored more. And when I read that, you know, when Sam Mendes gave Alice and Janney a book of paintings by Monk and he told her your character's in there somewhere, I think that really explains a lot of what they were going for now. And it makes a lot more sense the choices she made. Yeah. And and I love any time, you know, Alice and Janney's character gets three lines, four lines in the movie, and yet had this direction from... Sam Sam Mendes who, who said like here's here's the definition of your character like like use this to you know as inspiration and to guide you he could have just said you know sit in this room and and you know <laughs> stare off into the distance and you would have captured a similar look but possibly not understand that you know as as I felt like so much going on under the surface yeah I want to apologize to my for my former take on the Janney performance because if that was the direction she knocked it out of the park because you think about Monk's paintings and you think about just like isolated people who are beautiful, but it almost like they don't fit in with their surroundings. Like it, it's, it's a lot going there that are, uh, it's, it's really good. Yeah. Uh, the Smiley's your, uh, one of your American moments, my American moments. Mr. Smiley's yeah. Carl's Jr. One of my favorites. Don't have it here on the East coast. I'm very sad about that. When, when I was working in LA, I would have crazy long hours as you can attest to and my go-to on the ride home was to pick up a Carl's Jr. burger. So um, very, very fond place in my heart for Carl's Jr. and Mr. Smiley's. Yeah. 
There you go. Uh, I think a lot of this was uh, was shot in the valley too, which of course that's where we were, where we it were living like at the it. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, we you know we mentioned uh, Tom Cruise and Magnolia, but I didn't a- add Magnolia on my list of like other similar kind of suburban angsty movies. But I think it definitely fits it in 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 a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, yes. But it's also a much deeper rabbit hole of a movie with issues and and things they cover but yeah definitely it's in there at times yeah certainly i think a lot of those movies i mentioned feel a little bit more contained to the world of the suburbs and obviously you know they're all over the place in the valley in in magnolia but uh similar kinds of ideas of characters coming to grips with internal struggles and identity and love and despair Magnolia is a great movie it's it's beautiful it's it's yeah i I just rewatched it uh not too long ago it's it's wonderful okay yeah no it's good and then you know the only other piece of trivia that really really caught my eye was the, the 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 music video on the television that jane and angela are watching because it's always this burning question in my mind when a music video or something is on the background of a movie or tv show i'm like then I don't know what that is. I need to know what that is. It's going to leave like, the, it's like a sentence that doesn't have a period. It's just going to go on and on in my head. And it's going to be this thought that I can't close out until I know what it is. So I'm very glad that it's listed there as what it is, because there's one in Cape Fear, the De Niro and Scorsese, when Juliette Lewis goes running into her room, closes the door, and it's a very weird music video. And I didn't know what it was. And it's nice to have closure in that regard. I thought you were going to mention in Cape Fear, what movie are they watching in the movie theater? Oh, Problem Child. Easy. That's basic trivia, baby. Oh, I that. <laughs> That's all I was looking for. That's all I wanted to hear. <laughs> but yeah, it. I didn't. You're gonna learn about Cape Fear. What? <laughs> There's a scene in Cape Fear. I love Cape Fear. Ben, you like Cape Fear? I really like Cape Fear. Where. Nick Nolte's like finally meeting Max Cady uh, after he gets released out of prison. Max Cady's in his car. Nick Nolte has walked a pretty good distance away from the car at this point. Robert De Niro's character pulls out. He goes, you're going to learn about loss. And from across the parking lot, Nick Nolte's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Love it. It makes, it's, yeah, yeah. Logistically, (laughs) no sense. It makes no sense. Um, But I have the same thing with you where if like a thing, a TV is on in the background, not only do I have to know what that thing is, but I will also be distracted if there is some sort of like continuity error. And in War of the Worlds, in the 2005 War of the Worlds, um, Tom Cruise comes in and uh, into the living room where Dakota Fanning is watching Spongebob. And there's a Spongebob episode on in the background, but the audio to that clip does not sync with the video like the audio does Ugh. not the audio doesn't break but when we cut back to and see another part of the of the episode the video is like at from a different time in in that episode which is just hate that it's very distracting also as a big spongebob fan like <laughs> get it right <laughs> yes you don't want to insult the mr squarepants but also, you got to think that if they're using it, there's a reason. So if there's a continuity error or something, it just seems lazy. Like, it just seems like they're just throwing whatever in the background where it doesn't make any sense. Like, when Goodfellas has Al Jolson and the jazz singer on the television, front and center, Scorsese's clearly telling you, like, you ain't seen nothing yet. Like, you want to keep watching this movie. There's re- There should be a reason why these things are happening. And in Cape Fear, Juliette Lewis's character was, like, teen teenage angst watching a, a grungy punk video. Like, it all makes sense. So to hear that, like, that's happening in the background of War of the Worlds is like, okay, whatever. Yeah, I, I don't know what the intention was behind that. I also don't know what the intention was for putting the video for Cancer for the Cure by Eels, uh, yeah. which I, ne- I didn't 
know what it was, but because it's like a black and white video and there's people like tap dancing and you only see it very quickly. And I'm like, is this like an old like musical from like the 40s or 50s or something like that? Uh, no, it's a it's a music video for Eels, for, for a song yes. by Eels. I do love the soundtrack. And in fact, there is an American moment that we didn't even talk about. And it's a huge musical moment. Actually, another funny thing about this moment, the song that we're going to talk about, not on the soundtrack. Interesting. Yeah. The moment. American Woman. American Woman by the Guess Who. Uh, Kevin Spacey, Le- Lester is driving down the street. This is right after, I think, he uh, blackmailed his boss for almost $60,000. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. he's driving down the street, smoking a doobie. Uh, cranks up American Woman by the Guess Who, gets the words wrong as he's singing it. <laughs> a great improvised moment. Um, I love that song. It's a vibe. It's a vibe. It is on my uh, like working out playlist because uh, I can run really well to the beat of the of the song. But uh, yeah, it's a great moment. A great American moment. And what better way to wrap up American Beauty than with a great American moment? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for sticking with us on this extended minisode, this extended episode for American Beauty. There was just so much more that we wanted to talk about uh, because it is a big one and and had so many interesting elements to discuss. Yes. Stay tuned uh, for for the next episode when we uh, develop time travel, go back in time, cast Chevy Chase, uh, and and make the version of the movie that uh, Alan would have absolutely loved. Absolutely. Yes. And that is a wrap on American Scene, talking about American Beauty yet again. If you like what we're doing, please leave a positive review. You can give us your unfiltered opinion on Twitter at American Scene underscore. And if you'd like to follow either of your patriotic co-hosts, I'm Ben Rosen on Twitter at not that Ben Rosen. I'm Alan Austin on Twitter at Alan underscore Austin underscore. And we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.